for the last, I don't even know how long, but for quite some time we've been dealing with eschatology. It came about because we were in Romans chapters 9 through 11. And in Romans chapter 9 through 11, it clearly expresses that there are peoples of God. One of those peoples of God was Israel. Amen. Another people of God is the church. They are not the same. They are saved the same, but they are two distinct peoples of God. Now, in understanding that, obviously God started the church in Acts chapter 2. They became a peoples of God in Acts chapter 2. We find in in, 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 uh, Romans chapter 11 that He made those a new peoples of God to make the old peoples of God jealous. And that will happen. And then he goes in and says in, in Romans chapter 11, don't be cocky, church. Because what I have done with Israel, I can do to you too. And so the, we see the distinction there and the importance. And we, we realize that when we read verses chapters 9-11, through 11, you can't help but think eschatologically. Because of the way it's written. And so we went for CE hour. We spent a whole thing on eschatology for a couple of years now, I believe. And in our church services, we also have been in it in Romans, in Revelation chapter 20, in Matthew chapter 24, in Matthew chapter 25, and how they all work together. This morning, I'm going to give you, and, and we're going to, I'll give, give you opportunity to ask questions because I didn't do that last week. And we were way over time. We went to like quarter after last week. It was crazy. But it was, there was a lot there, right? So we're going to go through this in one slide. And if you have questions, now's the time to ask them. Not that, that we won't ever go through some of eschatology again, but we're not going to be in it again like we have been for sure. Um, we've only given so much time on this earth. Amen. And uh, so we, we have to use our time wisely and spend uh, what we need today. Um, eschatology is part of it, but it is part of it. And we can glorify God through a lot of other verses and aspects as we go through it. But here we go. First of all, we have a timeline. This timeline starts out with the second coming. That's where we're going to start. Now, how do we know the second coming is coming? Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, the first few verses are about there are going to be wars and rumors of wars. There are going to be the whole world will be evangelized. You remember that. Then comes the second coming. So this is this is um, before the tribulation. These things are going to have there's rumblings and murmurings. Boy, folks, there's always been those things. There are some things that haven't taken place. The whole world is it evangelized. Well, it seems to me Putin needs the Lord. So I don't know that that's the case. The point is, these things, are, they should keep us in remembrance the King is coming. Amen? And He is. The King is coming. Jesus is coming. And we start, that is our starting point when talking about eschatological things. Not that there isn't a rapture. There is. There's a rapture. There is a seven years of tribulation. Then comes the second coming, and that's what we're gonna we focused on. We find the second coming in Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 through 44. We find it in Revelation chapter 22, 
and chapter 20. We find it in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, and we find it in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Actually, the Acts passage says, just as I have left the ascension of Christ, so will I come. All right, so he's coming again, and we should be excited about that. What is going to happen after the second coming? Well, when Jesus comes back and puts his feet on the mountain, if you will, there is 75 days that are uncounted for. We don't know what happens in those 75 days. So the tribulation has happened. Is it a bad or a good thing? It's a bad thing for them. It's a good thing the wrath of God is being appeased. Amen. All right. The judgment of God. So after the tribulation, there is a 75 days that talks up that is talked about in Daniel chapter 12. And in that, we believe, I believe anyways, there are some things in Scripture that we have to account for. Um, the battle of Armageddon. So literally, Jesus Christ comes back on a white horse with the sword, does He not? So he, when He comes back, He wipes out this army. All right, We call that the battle of Armageddon because it happens in the land of the Megiddo, right? We find that in Revelation chapter 19. The judgment of the nations has to happen before the millennial kingdom. So the judgments of the nations, what is that judgment? Well, it's when he it's after the tribulation, after the war of battle of Armageddon, it has to be. Then he separates he separates the saved from the unsaved. What does that look like? It looks like to a sheep herder or a uh, uh, goat herder when they separate the sheep and goat. But the point is, the sheep and goats, sheep do not have an S at the end, okay? All right. The sheep and goats. So God is going to separate. Christ is going to separate the saved from the unsaved. The saved enter into the millennial kingdom. The unsaved are sent to hell. That's what the text says. We talked about that and we saw it in Matthew chapter 25, verse 32. The next thing that happens is this false prophet is judged. I believe it's during the same time as his judgment, to be honest with you, if he wasn't killed in the battle of Armageddon. But the point is, the false prophet is judged. Where do we find that? Matthew or Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. So Revelation chapter 19 is showing this us this. Um, coming back of the Lord and, and what's going to take place. The next thing that has happened after all is Satan is bound. By the way, folks, is Satan bound today? Or is Satan moving about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour? That's not a hard question to ask. It's not hard to answer either. He is seeking whom He may devour. Now, please, Christian, do not use this as an excuse to sin. I heard two people say amen. That's ridiculous. You cannot use, well, Satan made me do it. Listen, here's the deal. Satan is not God. Satan is not omnipresent. He can only be at one place at one time. There is no way He's going to deal with you or me. Nothing. Not going to happen. He is dealing with probably, well, 
there's the P guy, right? <laughs> uh, anyways, regardless of the issue is he's only at one place at one time. So at this moment, Satan is bound for the first time. Since he was thrown out of heaven, he is now bound for the first time at the end of the tribulation, at the beginning of the millennium, that time frame. That's when he is bound. Can you imagine life without Satan? Well, it's better than that even. We have a thousand year kingdom. The Old Testament talks about it all over the place. We'll give you the verses. There's a ton of verses about it. This, this where the, the lion lies down with the lamb. Whether that's the eternal state of the millennial kingdom, here's the reality. Jesus Christ is in charge. This is like the Garden of Eden. It is beautiful. It is perfect. I cannot wait to see the food that we eat. The place is what it looks like when depravity is suppressed. We live in a world where depravity is exalted. And what a wicked, horrible world that is. I'm telling you, just to, and, and I, I don't, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm not, I, I'm not taking sides or anything, but I will tell you this. Our news media today is ripping apart the fact that Ukrainian is called the Christian state. And why do we care about that? Almost dismissing it. Folks, Christians aren't looked to as wonderful people. And there are hundreds of Christians today being persecuted and being killed, even in Ukraine. Um, one of the professors that I have and has preached here has preached there twice at two different churches in the Ukraine. And there are many people who truly love the Lord. And they need our prayer. Despite the politics involved, our Christian brothers and sisters need prayer. Amen. It's hard to take politics out of it, but folks, for just an hour, can we do that? <laughs> Forget about that and just focus on Christ. So, thousand year reign of Christ, then comes Satan is loose. The Bible says he is bound for a thousand years. He's not only bound, he's opened a pit, threw in the pit, sealed the pit. He's away for a thousand years. He is then loosened at the end of the millennial kingdom. Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 tells us that. The final battle from heaven is won by fire. Fire comes from heaven and destroys all those that were against Christ at the last battle. Found in Revelation chapter 20, verse 9. And then comes the great white throne judgment, which is different than the judgment of the nations that took place earlier. After that great white throne judgment comes eternity in the future. Alright, so that is eschatology apart from the rapture and tribulation. Is there any questions about that? Does anybody have a question about any of this that is on this eschatological timeline? If I gave you the one that we used last time, it'd be so convoluted. I mean, there's so many things in it, it's just difficult. Is this helpful? No questions at all? Josiah, you have a question. Yes. Okay, so Satan is, and then that's a good question. In this, in this scenario, 
Satan is loosed. So for this whole time frame here, there's no Satan. And Jesus Christ is ruling with a rod of iron. Here's what it means. Everybody is doing right whether by flesh or by heart. Okay, It's always right. It's always good. And if it's not, it's severely punished. That's what the rod of iron has the idea of, right? So everything looks good on the exterior. Unfortunately, there have been children... This is bad. There have been children born during the millennium. Unfortunately, many of them have not come to a saving knowledge of Christ. They aren't saved. And so their heart is deceitful. And as soon as Satan is loosed, well, there's my real king. I will go after him and follow him. And he brings up the final battle. And that's where the final battle is. Does that make sense? It's all those, all the people that are doing right on the... I would say it like this. It's almost as if it's fake Christianity in the church. It's just like that. that and, the fi- and, and the reason we know there's two battles, I'll get you next, is because one fire comes from heaven. That's why I brought it out. And the other one is a sword coming from Jesus Christ's mouth. One's from God the Father, one's from God the Son. Two different battles. And I think, I think there's an aspect to this that actually Jesus goes out to fight them and God just wipes them out. So. Yes, sir. Okay, that's a good question. Are there people dying during the millennial kingdom? I'll give you the best theological answer I know and it's I don't know. And then I'll give you my opinion. My opinion is that (laughs) my opinion is no, there isn't. That's my opinion. I would say that tepidly and not dogmatically. Does that make sense? Why do I believe that? Um, because Christ, okay, when Christ was on this earth, along with depraved people, what did he do? Healed, brought back to life. That so he is here not only as the suffering servant now, then he is the conquering king. So not only, so I believe all that's eradicated. Christ totally eradicates that um, because he's there. He's here. And he's here as king as it was promised. Not as, I will heal this person and not that person. You know what I mean? There'd be a difference there. But the reality is Christ is there. And so, no COVID. Yes? Yeah, see, that's the only issue that I'm not, I'm, I don't know. Because if he rules with a rod of iron and there's a belligerent, nasty person, uh, what happens to him? It, he might be put to death. I don't know. I don't know. But that's why I'm tepid with that. That's a good question. Good. I'm glad there's some questions and thinking going on because I hate just giving a lecture and you know what I mean? I was in Christian school all my life and I got to stare down good. I have no idea what went up here. How many understand? <laughs> Does this make sense? 
This is from a dispensational point of view. A covenant theologian. A covenant theologian would be like a um, Presbyterian. Um, so, someone that you might know is R.C. Sproul. Um, was, is a Presbyterian. Um, they, would, they would say, all of this equals this. And so we just jump from here to here. To right here. Does that make sense? From this point to this point. That, that's what they believe. They believe there's a judgment, but they, they, they don't... They spiritualize, they, they allegorize that the judgment of the nations is really the great white throne judgment. And I, although there are similarities, I think they're very separate because of the way the text is written. Um, the false prophet judge, is Satan loose? They would say Satan's loose. He's bound now on a really long chain, yes. That's what an amillennialist uh, covenant theologian, some covenant theologians would believe. Now, not that we fight with them. I mean, it, it, it's a difference of opinions, okay? This is not the gospel. Okay, this is eschatological things. Things that we are not given as much information as we have with the gospel. Okay? So we have to be, they're brothers in Christ. R.C. Sproul loved the Lord. Absolutely. He's, by the way, he's one of my favorite preachers. I would put him on the, like, right there on the top. I just love his preaching. Um, so we shouldn't hate these people. We shouldn't despise them. And there's nothing wrong with sitting down and debating them. If we can de debate kindly and in love. Amen. Because I think we would learn something and they would learn something. Both. No more questions and I'm going to stop and we're going to jump into our next where we're at. Yes, sir. Micah. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. So after the great white throne, there is no more death at all. Zero. It's eternal. Matter of fact, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And what does that all look like? Man, that's a really big, I don't know. I mean, I can get some pictures of, but man, no, I don't know anything. Here, I will tell you what happened. I hope you don't mind this. Last week, I think I told you this actually. I was so frustrated. No, I told you Wednesday night, didn't I? Right. Because I had class this week. So, Wednesday night, by the way, we do have services here. They are at 6.30. And they go to 7.30. And we're going through the whole Bible in a, in a uh, really cool form. It's fun. But anyways, um, people... Teachers were telling me that they believe that there are golf courses in heaven. Seminary professors were telling me there were golf courses in heaven. I can't express to you how unnerving that is in my heart. Number one, I hate golf. <laughs> But that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> has absolutely nothing to do with it. When we take, is golfing fun? Can be for some people. Is hunting fun? Especially those who are born again. Anyways. <laughs> uh, you go through all these things that we do. 
We do those, let me ask you, do we do those to enhance our relationship with Christ? No. Why do we do those? They're enjoyable. Is there anything wrong with them in and of themselves? If they become a God? Yes. Okay, so, so but here's the deal. If you are thinking that's in heaven, what have you made it? You've made it a God. You have. The greatest thing in heaven that we will enjoy, and by the way, I think there's an argument that we actually serve and work in heaven. I think Matthew chapter 25 is abundantly clear in the talents. But we will love it. Golf will be a what? What is that? There's no point. So, I had a frustrating week, by the way. Just... I took an ethics class. This was an ethics class. My ethics was challenged <laughs> as they were saying these things. But anyways, and they based it on a book, not on Scripture. That's what made me even more furious. Regardless, your question, <laughs> like, is this, yes, all death is gone, history. Matter of fact, the great white throne judgment says that it, it it's the second resurrection where all the dead and all from Hades, all from the sea, it even names it, come to, are resurrected and then they are judged and then they're sent to hell. And then the text says, if their name's not written in the book of life. So, then, and I would say, all, everyone that is left this is where the similarities are. Everyone that is left goes into eternity. The ones that aren't judged there and thrown into hell go into eternity, do they not? They have to. And, and, and yeah, the text bears that out. Okay, good question. Is there any other question? How many have learned something through the eschatology verses and stuff that we have done. I, I pray and hope you have. Um, this isn't to make us, I know it all. If that's what it's done, then I have totally failed. This is God's working in the future. So we should say, thank you, Lord. Not look at me, right? Thank you, Lord, for what you have promised. These are some of your mercies. All right. We are going to stop focusing on eschatology as of, right? Now, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so we are going to be back in Romans now. So Romans chapter 11 deals with eschatology. That's why we went to eschatology. Romans chapter 12 now is something very different. I love the book of Romans. By the way, do you see the... You probably can't see that. If uh, the lights were off, you'd be able to see. How many see the Colosseum behind there? Okay, that's kind of an icon of Rome. And so, when I put my PowerPoint, I'll, I'll be doing that to help us remember where this is at. So Romans twelve one and two says this. Now, if your Bible, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to the Book of Romans, because the Book of Romans is where we're going to find um, our study today is fo is focused on. The Bible says, therefore. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Or if you have a King James, it's your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. All right. I have highlighted the words that we're going to study. <laughs> I mean, every one of these words are just dripping with truth and so much information in order to know God. The first word is therefore. And we're going to start with that next. But therefore is a huge word. I urge you. We know who the I is, right? The I is Paul. The you is Hashib. Yeah, no. <laughs> the you is the believers in Rome, all right, by the mercies of God. Okay, so these mercies that we're going to find out, and what we're going to do is today, Lord willing, I'm going to have you open your Bibles and then try to find the mercies of God. Don't start yet in chapter two and following. What are the mercies of God? And when you find one, raise your hand and we'll find out what that mercy is. By the mercies of God to present your bodies. Bodies would be in, 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 in distinction between souls. Why? These people are already born again. Amen? They're saved. Now present your bodies. I don't want just your soul. I don't want just part of you. I want all of you. Amen? A living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. And I like that a whole lot better than um, reasonable. I understand what reasonable is. It's the least you can do. And I get that. And that's what he's trying to say. But that's not just a, a work that you perform. This is service to God. Amen. This is your service. Your spiritual service of worship. By the way, each and every one of you are going to go away today and you're going to go into a job tomorrow. I will be going to a shop tomorrow and I'll be working. I'm going to be working and doing the best I can for the glory of the Lord. Because that is my service to others, which is serving God. All of you serve others somehow, some way. God wants you to do it as best as you can. He has gifted you to do that. So, the service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Look at this. I, I want to challenge you on this. I already have these up so I can. We're just taking an overview and then we'll get into the details. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Do you see th th these are broken down into two verses and because the verbs are the ones that are starting out the whole passage here. I urge you, right? And then he says what? I urge you has a, a what kind of idea? Motivation. Come on, you can do this. Get going. Some of the, some of the passages I implore you some of them are really ridiculous. I ask you. Anybody have something different than that in your translation? Appeal to you. Good. Any other ones? Beseech. There's the King James one. I beseech. How many have ever beseeched anyone in the last 20 years? Okay. Not that the King James is bad. I'm not saying that. We just don't use that language. So, would you say that that is an outright command? By looking at the words themselves, 
Is it a command? Let me ask you this. Let's go to the second verse. Do not be conformed. Is that a command? Okay. Now, just hang on. <laughs> Is this reiterating this? Absolutely. Absolutely. So here's the deal. This is a big deal. And here's why. I don't know how to erase all these. Can someone tell me how to do that? Ha! Man. That's how bad I am with computers. <laughs> that little thing get me excited. Here's the deal. This verse is used by certain people to say, I urge you, brother, and here's their end game. Sanctification is optional. Because He doesn't command it. He just suggests it. He urges it. How many see a problem with that? That's a big problem. But they use this verse to do that. I'm going to try my best to give you all the information you need to make your own decision on what does this term mean. By the way, it is my opinion that this, if you're going to equate the will of God with an urge, that's a problem. If you think it's optional. Any Christian that believes the will of God is, you know, whatever. I can think of Adam and Eve that did that same thing. But she was too interested in her own will. And so was he. And hence, depravity. How many are following that? It's a big deal. Alright, let's get into the text. First one. Therefore, when the Bible says therefore, you say, well, what in the world? This is crazy. You're going to the little word therefore. It's huge. If you don't get this, the rest of it doesn't make sense. So, therefore, I urge you. What does therefore mean? Help me out. Alright, it's what we just went over. It's therefore a reason. It's therefore a reason. Therefore, let me show you how this works. In Romans chapter two, verse one, if you have your Bibles, turn with. We're going to go through Romans because I'm kind of, I'm kind of uh, highlighting Romans at the same time as starting Romans again. Okay, Romans chapter two, verse one. What does that say? Therefore, therefore, what? Well, guess what? Scott McComsey just read chapter one, the first, last part of the chapter. So whatever is before the therefore, look what he says. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who pass judgment, for in which you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls. Okay, so here's the deal. He's talking about condemning. There is condemnation for everybody. Why? Well, it's because, and we can look at the text, it's because men are gay, 
women using women, you know, that nonsense and stupidity that's happening, even in our culture, maybe I should say especially in our culture, it's sad. We could say that's condemned. Yes, that's condemned. But I will tell you, so is our sins. So is our sins. We don't look at people as judging them. We look at people as just like them, but different sins. Does that make sense? And therefore, we love those people and we care for them because their humanity and we want to see them born again. We need to introduce them to Christ. Amen? Listen, are your sins wicked? Are they as wicked as what was talked about in chapter 1? Many Christians say, oh, no, not me. Yes, they are. They're just as wicked. The point is, it doesn't make it a sin. It is a sin. And God hates it. The point is, we must love them enough to give them the Word of God, the Gospel, Jesus Christ. They need the Lord. Why? Because that sin will hurt them, not only in the end, but in the in-between. Just like your sin hurts you, not only in the, but in the in-between. Now praise God, your sins are covered by grace. Amen. By Christ. So we find condemnation. Oh yeah, He gave us this huge list of wicked sins. And then He says, Therefore, you're condemned. So we get it. Okay, we got to go back to find out what's there for. Romans 5.1. Let's go there. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. Why is this so important? Because the, the, the Roman Christians, most of them were Jewish. Many of them were Jewish. But they were being justified by the What? If they were being justified by the law, they thought, if I kept this law, then things are going to go well. No, you can't keep the law in and of yourselves. How many of you have ever tried, you know, how many, how many days can I go by without sinning? Well, if you think you went by a day without sinning, you probably sinned because you're lying to yourself. Right? So, th this issue, listen, it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that we can boldly come to Him. So only by the blood of Christ we have justification. We have peace. Amen? Justification and peace come from that. And if you would read chapter 4, you will talk, they'll talk about Abraham's faith. And it wasn't Abraham's, it was very interesting that he does this. They would cry, well, Abraham is our father of faith and he was circumcised. Yeah, how many years Was he justified before he was um, circumcised? Anybody know that number? I forgot the number. It's like 14 years or something like that. It wasn't his circumcision that gave him justification and righteousness. Amen. It was his faith that gave him peace and justification. Amen. And he's, he's explaining that. Therefore, justification. You have peace with God. Whoops, there's another one. Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Why? 
Because I'm no longer under the law. How do we know that? Chapter 7. <laughs> Chapter 7 says you are no longer under the law. You are free from the Therefore, there is now no condemnation. There is an assurance. Why? Because we're in Christ. And unless we, are, unless we have a faithful God, we are totally assured. Amen? Praise God for that. It's all relying on His faithfulness. Romans 12. Romans 12. Verse 1 is where we were. Therefore, I urge you, present your bodies. Present your bodies. What does that mean? Well, there's a therefore here. We'll, we'll figure out what that means eventually. Probably not today. But there is a therefore, and there, what do we have to do? Therefore, I want you to, let's go back here. I'll, I'll just go forward. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll use this double ways. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, how? By the mercies of God. So the therefore is there to go back into the old or the chapters one through uh, eleven, based on all the mercies of God found in there. This is what I'm telling you. How many understand that? That's exactly what's going on. He says, "Therefore, I urge you." And we'll get to urge in just a second, brethren. Brethren, by the way, what's brethren there? Believers. How do we know they're believers? Because they've already, they've, their soul is His. They are, nobody can please God apart from being in Christ. Amen? It's not possible. So this is talking to believers specifically. He is urging them. We'll find out what that word means. How, why is He urging them? Based on the mercies of God, I just read or wrote to you in 11 chapters, this is what you need to do. So, what are the mercies of God? Is that not the obvious question? I see foreheads. <laughs> of course that's the question. What are the mercies of God? We'll get there. Let's go to the urge. Urge. Guess what that word, that word in the Greek is parakaleo. Does that sound like any uh, Greek term that you've heard before? Exactly. The Holy Spirit is our paraclete. Okay? It's the same word. Not the same word. It's the same root word. For sure. Paracleo. What does it mean? Well, I'm going to give you... Here's the problem. It's all over the map of what it means. Um, I will give you some author's opinions. MacArthur is probably the strongest. MacArthur says it's a command that carries the full weight of his apostleship. It is not optional. I would agree wholeheartedly. And we'll get there in just a little while. Schreiner. Schreiner is, anybody know who Thomas Schreiner is? Does anybody know who John MacArthur is? Okay. I'm hoping we're following this. Okay. Thomas Schreiner is a pastor and a professor at, I think it's Southern Seminary. Um, it might be southeastern. I don't remember which one, but anyways, he says that this urge is, is this is the authoritative will of God. What he does is equates. If you remember the will of God at the bottom with the urge on the top, he says, "I urge you to do this because why? Because this is the will of God." So I get that. 
By the way, what Christian that loves somebody wouldn't want to do what they want you to do? Am I right or wrong? I mean, if you love somebody that, of course you want to please them. Well, this is what he's trying to... And that's what he's doing. Paul is urging based on those things. Anyways, we'll get it. Schreiner also said, this is a summoned to obey. This isn't just a gentle nudge. This is, hey, you're going to do this. BDAG. BDAG is a lexicon, all right? <sighs> so here, oh my goodness, we're down to, well, what? A lexicon is the Greek and English, and you can see side by side what they are. That's roughly what it is. Okay? It also defines the terms, the Greek terms for you. BDAG is the most popular and best one. They, they do the best of any of them. It's to urge strongly, to appeal to, to exhort, to encourage. And if you look up this term, parakleo, in BDAG, you will find like four or five different definitions, but all those definitions under them are the verses that are defined by that specific one. Does that make sense? This actually comes down to like number three or four, is where Romans 12 is found. Linsky. Anybody know who Linsky is? Most people up here do know who Linsky is because Luther, he is a Lutheran um, commentary. Okay? And he, he was very clear. Admonish. You need to do this. And then <clears throat> Cranfield and Dunn, here are two more, beseech and implore are not strong enough. They don't give you what you really need. This and, and here's the deal. Here's the problem. You see all those verses? There is a ton of verses up there. Those are all verses that Paul uses this term to do. And it's 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 urging, it's it's asking, it's all of they're all over the map with how they're translated into English. But I will tell you this. Um Paul is, is walking a line of a pastor, if you will. He wants people to do things according to God's will, not His popular choice. How many understand that? Do you get that? I don't do this because I say. Matter of fact, he even said that in one of his letters. Don't do this because I'm Mr. Popular. Don't do this because you think I'm great. But let me ask you this. Paul, all these people he's writing to, what, does, do they have a special relationship together? Yeah. Do you know what the relationship is? He's their, really, their spiritual dad. He has given them the Gospel. They have received Christ. They've trusted in Christ. And now they're following in Christ's footsteps. But Paul has been the instrument to see them saved. How many understand that? And so they love Paul. Do you probably know the person that led you to the Lord? Probably. And you love them. Now let me ask you this. If they would urge you to do something based on the will of God, it's in essence a command, is it not? How many follow that reasoning? 
Of course this is a command. It's not a, hey, you know, if you feel like it, good. If not, you know, I know it's the will of God, but just, you know, do whatever you want. Really? I don't think we can go there. All right, how many, are, how many understand what therefore means? How many understand what urge probably means? Brethren, they have to be saved people. Um, they're saved people because of... They must be a believer, believer. Why? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, the text says, holy, acceptable unto God. Well, that can't be true unless they're born again. They have to be believers. Unredeemed people cannot worship God. They worship their God, but they don't worship the God. Big deal. It's a big deal. Unredeemed cannot make an acceptable offering. Matter of fact, the Bible says all their works are as filthy rags. The only thing that's done in Christ is good. Amen. So, they have to be saved people. Now then, what are the mercies of God? Are you excited about this? You get to participate. That means you cannot sleep. I want to hear wrinkling pages or, or people doing this on their phone. Let's find out Romans chapter 1. Let's start there. We're going to read on the mercies of God. Why? Because this decision to present your bodies is based on what God has done for you. So let's see what God has done for you. Let's start. Does that make sense? Everybody following that? All right, Romans chapter 1. Let's get into the text. By the way, Romans 1 isn't the greatest text in the world <laughs> to get those fuzzies, nice little fuzzies in our tummy. It almost gives us shaking in our boots. When you find a mercy of God, raise your hand and we'll, we'll talk about that one. The mercies of God. All right, where do you find hope? Where's that? Romans chapter 1. Do you see holiness? Why is His holiness a mercy? Set apart. What does that mean? Practically, what does that mean? If we have a holy God, He's set apart. That means He's different than every, every, every other God, right? What does that mean? What's that? He's sinless. Everything that He does is going to be absolutely perfect. Is that not true? He's going to be totally truthful. So you can count on Him. Right? He's going to, everything that He does is for our... Here's the deal. I know you hate this, but listen closely. How many have enjoyed the beautiful, warm spring so far? Here's the reality. There's nothing that is not for our good. When we complain about the weather, and I am guilty, literally we're complaining about God's design plan. Do, do we understand that? We are. Okay. Holiness. Great. What else? His grace. What is His grace? 
Undeserved. So this is a big deal. His grace. How many of you sin? Raise your hand. Almost all of you. We have some Methodists and perfectionists in the crowd. (laughs) So, we all sin. What do we deserve for that sin? Death and hell. So we not only deserve death, but we deserve eternal hell. That's what we deserve. Christ took it for you. Christ did all those things for you. He died. And then He went. Where did He go? You can read it. How many know what I'm talking about? Death. Into death. He went into death. Preach to the captives, I think is the term that is used. He took your penalty on Himself. Now, how how many enjoy a good movie? How many have ever seen a good movie? (laughs) Have you seen the ones where, where somebody saves somebody else's life? And what is the guy, the life that was saved, what does he feel towards the guy that saved his life? Gratitude? Hey, thanks, see ya. No. What, what, what is it? Man, you, you feel burdened for them now, right? What can I do? What did, look what they did. That's the exact, that's the whole point. The whole point is, this is what God has done for us. He died on the cross. He was speared with a sword. He, was, he gave vinegar to drink. He was beaten to a pulp. He was thrown down into the hole on the cross. His hands were, were nailed to the cross. His feet were nailed to the cross. And clunk! Down into that hole. If you think that He did that so you can freely sin, you've, you're an idiot. I'll just be frank. You're an idiot. I don't use that return much from the pulpit, but you are. He did that because He loved you so much. And now you want to crucify Him again and again because, hey, it's fun to sin. Christians hate their sin. They hate their sin. And they love their Lord. Unfortunately today, all of us deal with this. Our affections, our loves, our... But I really like this and I know I shouldn't. And I, I, The Paul in, in Romans 5. <clears throat> How much do you love the Lord? Is that a fair question? You love Him because of the mercy you just saw in His grace. You love Him because of the holiness you just read in the text. What else? Good. These are great. Faith. Oh, 
Is faith a gift? Yes. You could not believe without God's gift of faith. Amen. Why? No one seeks after God, the text says. God has graced us with or gifted us with faith. What makes you to believe in someone you don't know, you've never seen before? All you've done is seen it in a text. Now let me ask, does the world look at you and say, you're weird? That's what God does. Good, good. We're going we're gonna to lose track of it. What else? Called. Oh man, what does that mean, called? Right? He reached out. There, I, I, I don't remember who it was. I think it's... I remember I not. But God put His hand down into the slime pit of this earth, into the pit of despair, grabbed a hold of your hand, and pulled you up out of that miry pit. That's what God did for you. You were in sin and without God. What worse place could you be? It would better, it were better if you were in front of Putin's can cannons in Ukraine than being in sin and without God. That is the worst place you could ever be. Praise God, He called you. You remember that time? When He, I am a sinner. He did die on the cross for me. He did shed His blood for me. He did rise again. You are my God. You and you alone will I follow. Man. What else? These are good. By the way, when, I should have, when you give us the term, give us the verse. Okay? So I know where we're at. Everybody's nervous. Listen, come up here for a second. The Gospel. Verse 6 of what? Of chapter 1. Alright, the Gospel. The Gospel is so important. Folks, if there's a dogmatic hill to die on, there is nothing other than the Gospel to die on. That is the hill to die on. That is the war to fight God saved us from our sins so that we would produce good works for Him. Ephesians chapter 2. Very clear. Yes. The wrath. The wrath of God is a mercy. How many? I think it's Habakkuk, I think. Habakkuk sit there and wrestling with God say, why don't you deal with these guys? The bad guys. The guys that hate you. The guys that are wicked. When are you going to deal with them? Oh, I will, he says. But that's up to me, not up to you. So his mercy, his wrathfulness and his faithfulness need to go together. How many of you are tired of people doing wrong and getting by with it? <laughs> It's like, it's, it's the bad guys get... What? what? <laughs> well, you know what? First of all, they need the Lord just like you did 
need the Lord. And I did. But God is faithful and He will judge them. His wrath is coming. By the way, Christians do not experience God's wrath. We experience God's discipline because we're His. Another one. We're in chapter 1. Now we can go to chapter 2. We can go all the way up to chapter 11. That's fine. His righteousness. What does that mean? Righteousness. What verse is that? 117. Okay. Righteousness. What is righteousness? Rightness. Perfection. Everybody knows we need to be righteous in order to meet a holy God. Is that not true? We have to be perfect. We all fall short, the text says, right? We fall short and we have to be perfect. So we do perfect in one or two ways. Either we pray enough Holy Marys and do enough good works to outweigh the bad ones, or we do what the Bible says and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for our righteousness. Well, according to the text, that's correct. Sorry, I'm not picking on you this end of the church, but this hand's wrong. By the way, it's the left hand. Okay. All right. Good. Righteousness. That, that one's awesome. I think Romans 5 or Romans 6 or 8, I can't remember which one, it just talks about that over and over and over and over again. All right. Righteousness is His mercy. What else is His mercy? All right. Eternal power. Why is that a mercy of God? Okay, eternal shows that it's not short, it's eternal, it's everlasting. There's no end. And what it has no end? His in this text, which is it? His power. I am so scared. What? God has the endless power. Amen? Nothing can thwart Him. Nothing is more powerful than, than Him. He's the, he's the one that gives power to the little guys. Like the presidents and kings. He still has all power. By the way, how many remember the text and on the seventh day, God rested. All right. What does that mean, He rested? Okay, He stopped creating. Why? Is God all power? We just read it, right? If God stopped everything He was doing, what would have happened? Yeah, we would be like back to the amoeba. <laughs> back to the slime. No. We'd be dissolved, gone, nothing. God holds everything together. He's that powerful. If you want to know what power's like, you need to talk to Mr. Vredenberg. He works with it every day. Have you ever seen someone get zapped or anything? Yeah, exactly. It is a scary thing. That is not even static electricity to God. 
Do we understand that? He is so much more powerful. He's all-powerful. He holds everything together. Therefore, the reason I brought that up is Christ didn't go and take a snooze. That's ridiculous. A grace. All-powerful. Okay, someone else who hasn't talked. I want everybody talking. This is important. Even if you're a visitor, I welcome your mercies that you find in the text. Please. What mercies are found in Romans 1-11? through The Holy Scripture. Absolutely. He didn't just, I'm out of here. Fend for yourself. Here it is. You have everything you need right here. Scripture. There's one that we haven't discussed that I think is so important. It's found right away in I think in chapter 8 or 9. It's so important. Who can separate us? Right? Who can separate us from the love of God? Can principalities and powers and death and persecution go through this litany? He said, nothing can separate us from the love. Are you kidding me? Let me ask you, when you first... Men, I'm going to talk to you for a second. So do you remember that girl that walked by you and she kind of turned her head, looked at you, you looked at her, and there was this like, ding. Not ding. <laughs> ding. Okay. No, do you remember that time? Oh my goodness, you're sitting next to your wife. You have an awesome opportunity to tell her how much you love her right now by saying, oh yes, even if you're lying. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> you know, praise the Lord, you're only five. <laughs> okay, you don't have that cling yet. The reality is, you saw them, you wanted to get to know them. You wanted, if there's anything, you, you want them to love you. Matter of fact, you want them to love you so much, you become somebody else. How many say, I know exactly what you're talking about? I remember, I, she was never my girlfriend, so I'm not saying, but I remember going on a, uh, I think we went to a meal with my girlfriend's sister. She was like, I don't know, eight years older than I was. So, you know, I wanted to know this girl through her sister who lived out in Oregon, so it's a long ways away. She was here for a little bit. And after the meal, I wanted, you know, I wanted to show her that I was, you know, I was macho. How many know, how many have ever been Got to show people you're macho. Nobody, it's just me. You're liars. Every one of you are lying. You're lying. So I want to, I'm, I'm a good guy. And she's like, Tim, your headlight's out. You know, macho man, right? I went up to the headlight and I hit the headlight. And what usually happens when you hit the headlight of an incandescent in your, in, what happens? It, 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 it bridges the gap and it comes back on. This one didn't. My hand actually went into the light. 
And I had to look at this girl who I'm trying to impress, not because I liked her, but because I liked her sister. I mean, that's how removed it is. Can you take me to the hospital? <laughs> and literally, I have paid for that ever since. I cannot, there's things I can't do. I, that's as straight as I can make my hand. Because I cut my ulnar nerve, I cut my whole tendons, it was a mess. All because I wanted her to go back to this girl, her name was Sonia, and say, man, this guy's, you got, he's, about, he's the bomb. Instead, it's, he's an idiot. <laughs> and he's, she's right. <laughs> she's absolutely right. But the point, do you get the point I'm trying to say? The point is, we want them to love us. Listen, oh, does God love you. All these mercies that He has shown you over and over. Why powerful? Because it's powerful love for you. Why gracious? Because it's gracious love for you. Why? And you can put all those attributes and combine them all together. Folks, they all are awesomely perfect because He absolutely died for you. That shows His love. You don't have to big bag and plead. Matter of fact, the only reason you want Him to love you is because He first loved you. And that draws us to Him. Just like you were drawn to the someone, and actually you got to know them. How many had multiple boyfriends and girlfriends? It's like, yeah, nope, see ya. <laughs> we're out of here. right? Until I met Miss Perfect for me. But I wanted Thank you. All right. I wanted every I wanted every opportunity I wanted to be loved. There is nobody in the world that doesn't want to be loved. Nobody. Folks, God loves you. And He shared His mercy and given His mercy to you. We see it in Romans 1. We see it in Romans 2. We see it all the way through the whole of Scripture. Mercy after mercy after mercy after mercy. And the point is, therefore I urge you, brethren, how? Because of what God has done for you. Everything that he's done for you. Let me ask you, what hasn't he done for you? He's done everything you need. He will never let you go. He cares about the stinking sparrow. How much more does he care about you? On that basis... On those mercies, on God and his character, on God and his attributes, I beg of you, I urge you, and I can tell you this, I command you. Why? Because this is the will of God. What is it? Present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This is 
what Christian living is. How many understand? That's what it is. What does it mean to be a Christian? Right here. Do not be conformed to this world. That is an absolute command. You can't get around it. Be transformed. Do you know where that word comes from? That, not comes from. That word transformed, there's another place in the Bible that talks about transformed with that Greek word. Guess where? Transfiguration. Be transformed. You're becoming more and more like Christ. Why? Because that's what happened. Remember those older people? I'm not going to name names. The ones that both have canes, and now they're both humped over. And you look at them and say, I can't tell you apart. You look and talk just like, you can finish phrases. How many understand that? You can finish your partner's sentence. Amen. Do you know why? Because you've lived, breathed, and had your being with someone right next to you most of your life. And you know each other. Let me ask you, do you still, do you have that same knowledge and love for God? I will tell you this, if you have a greater relationship with God, you will have a greater relationship with your wife and your husband. See, God is the key. God is the sovereign king. And the gifts that he has so awesomely graced us with are the motivation to serve him wholeheartedly. In whatever you do, and I'm not talking about you all have to be preachers. Some of you could be preachers, maybe. I don't know. But wherever God has called you into being, whether it's a, a, a shoe, shoe shiner, a beautician, a paver, a linesman, it doesn't matter. Wherever God has called you to do, he wants you to do that job for his glory, for his so that you can, and this is the whole point of this, so that people can see God in you. That's the point. I urge you. By the way, um, this is online now, so you can go through that. I think it's the, this text here. That, he, he, he says the word all the time, urge. So he led this young man to the Lord. I remember, when, I, it, I don't know if it was Titus. It might have been Titus. He led him to the Lord, and then he says, I urged Titus to come and see you. What does that mean, he urged Titus to come and see him? Titus, you're going to go see him. This isn't just a, you know, flip a coin and see if you want to or not. Sanctification is not an option. It's God's working in and through you. So if it's an option, Christ has failed. And my God is a faithful God, will never fail. Okay, 
Therefore, I urge you, brethren, how? By the mercies of God. How many are excited about next week? What does the rest have to say? Have I set it up good enough for you? Are you there? I pray that you can understand this text. It's so important. It's vital to Christian living. Mr. Pierce, I'd ask that he come and pray. If you come and close us in prayer, please. Why don't we go ahead and stand, please? Let's pray. Father, we count it a privilege to be here this morning. What a privilege to open your word and to hear how much you loved us, how much you gave for us, how merciful you've been to us. May we have learned, may our hearts been open, our eyes and our ears to this word this morning. But most of all, as you said, he urges us to be a doer in our life, to be what you want us to be, that these things that we've heard this morning, that others might see Christ in us. Be with us this, through this week, Lord. Help us to be a witness of the great things that you've done for us. Help us tell others of the gospel, how Christ loved us so much that he gave himself on the cross, that he shed his blood for us, that we might have eternal life, and that this life is through Jesus Christ. Be with us now, watch over us, protect us this week. We just pray that you give our pastor strength. We thank you for him for bringing the word to us. Lord, I'm just totally amazed today of how much you loved us. And it was so wonderful to hear that again. Be with us now. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.